cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, we're coming to you live from my hometown, Calgary, Alberta. We're here. It's ready. It's happening. It's the Calgary Underground Film Festival. As I mentioned last week, uh, I had to re-record the intro here. We have been having a lot of technical difficulties with my festival coverage, uh, with my provider and everything else. Uh, Things just weren't coming together. It's all here now. Please, please, please check out the films if they come around your way. Uh, Track them down. Check out the old schedules. Make sure you, uh, you, you actually do a deep dive into these. There are some definitely worthwhile films. This year at the Calgary Underground Film Festival, there has most certainly been some highlights. From Riders of Justice, Summertime, Together Together, you had The Last Matinee, you had Laughter, Fully Realized Humans, First Date, Vicious Fun, Coming Home in the Dark, Golden Arm. A lot of these are available now and you should watch them on demand, but we had some some even more highlights. Let's start this off. Ladies and germs, let's welcome to the show the one, the only, Lloyd Kaufman. Why did you decide The Tempest to remake, essentially? And why now? Uh, the, the, thank you, Robert. And thank you to uh, this, uh, Cuff, uh, Calgary uh, Underground Film Festival, for appreciating not just Shakespeare, but Lloyd Kaufman and the Troma Touch. The Tempest is my favorite uh, Shakespearean play. And uh, I would have done it earlier, but I wanted to wait until I was uh, old, uh, like Prospero, like the protagonist. And The Tempest is uh, the, the druggiest, the um, also full of, uh, which is obvious for my career, uh, The um, also The Tempest is uh, full of, of uh, Magic, and uh, you know, I make magic with the movies. I hope it's magic. Could be bad magic, but it's magic. And um, uh, there's romance. There's everything. Uh, I think it's really his most profound play in a way. It's about an old man losing power, but yet it's uh, the tempest is fun. And uh, for sure, Shakespeare had to be on something. And it's got a monster with Troma and Uncle Lloyd love uh, monsters. And uh, The Tempest is a masterpiece. Humorous, tragic, lovely, sexy, uh, the perfect, probably my last uh, film. So uh, unless somebody sends me a script that is toxerific, I, I don't know that I'll be uh, directing any more movies. I'm producing some, but I'm looking for my next project. And I really don't have any idea what it's going to be. I don't think that you get honestly enough credit for how smart of a filmmaker you you actually are. And to go out, if you do end up going out on this particular film, I think it's going to prove <laughs> you were one of the most important filmmakers that was working. Do, well, do, uh, do you agree with this? Do, do you think that people really haven't realized how truly smart you have been as a filmmaker this entire time? Well, thank you, Rob. You, your words are sincere and certainly better than an Oscar because you can buy an Oscar. Uh, there's no way I could buy your words um, except with my 
lips like a woman. And even then I might not succeed. Any rate, uh, thank you for that. And it's my 50th year and, and uh, along the way, uh, all the people who have worked at Troma, uh, not all of them, but uh, they all, it always comes down to, you know, when, the, when you get hit by a bus, uh, then everybody's gonna say, oh Lloyd, he was, he was so, he did so much for independent cinema and such a good guy. But uh, unfortunately, when you're in the underground, Robert, uh, you know, you have to get the joy from the, the art of doing. And again, uh, Troma has a wonderful support group. Our fans are terrific. We're fan-fueled, and uh, they, love, they love us. And uh, they've been supporting Troma now, which is our uh, platform. We're competing with Netflix and Amazon and all the uh, big guys. And uh, Troma now is doing all right, thanks Thanks to our fans, watch.troma.com. We've got over a thousand movies and videos and music videos, documentaries, editorials, goofy little uh, uh, short pieces. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. And the fans have really uh, supported it. And now the app is coming in June. So uh, you'll be able to get Troma now on, on uh, <clears throat> the wonderful uh, Roku and all, most of the other platforms that you go to that right now troma now is only a uh, website watch.troma.com but the first month is free and uh, mutant blast is there the the new movies are there and not to be understated your book series make your own damn movie produce your own damn movie release your own damn movie all these things have been so instrumental for so many filmmakers you're seeing it now with Guys like James Gunn rising to the ranks and, and doing Disney pictures. What do you feel like the biggest change you've noticed since releasing that original book? And do you think that we're on a good path as filmmakers right now? Uh, the only takeaway uh, I received from Yale University, uh, from which I graduated, I, I know it because I have a certificate, uh, uh, other than drugs and comic books, uh, the only thing I got out of it uh, was my major of Chinese studies. And the main takeaway was Taoism, yin and yang. Uh, it's a dualistic universe. The, you, can, you don't have good without evil. You don't have pleasure without pain. The oyster gets a, a, a piece of sand stuck in its, in its uh, anus and um, it, it produces, which is painful, but yet it produces uh, this uh, perfect uh, round pearl spherical pearl and and um, um, the the it's sort of like that right now we've democratized the art of cinema because you can make a good film now for five thousand dollars for two thousand dollars you really don't the money isn't the issue anymore because uh, you got kickstarter and uh, indiegogo and you know your family and friends can start you out with enough to get the movie shot um, the bad side the, the yang the unfortunate side is that, um, yes, you can make your own damn movie and uh, it can be terrific. And you can probably, if you uh, are patient, take it uh, to uh, conventions and kind of distribute it yourself and maybe scrape together enough for another movie. And eventually your day job uh, might, uh, uh, might end up turning into a, a, a full-time uh, movie making uh, for uh, support, for financial support. The bad side is, unfortunately, the industry is more consolidated than ever. 
certainly more consolidated than when I started 50 years ago. Uh, and the power and the distribution power is in the hands of the uh, small number of these giant uh, conglomerates. And then you've got, uh, as if that isn't bad enough, you've got the, uh, the algorithms of YouTube and, uh, and the uh, Amazon Prime, which I believe are set to uh, get rid of competition. Uh, they have plenty of uh, uh, Netflix uh, pedophile stuff and the uh, movie, you know, they're promoting uh, that, no problem with that. Uh, and yet they, um, they, they tried to cancel Troma's uh, free channel. We had a free channel with uh, about 850,000 subscribers, <laughs> which had been there for 10, long, 10, 15 years. And one day they took it down and uh, uh, no, no reason, just a more, what do they call it? Community standards. And then luckily our fans went to work and uh, uh, did a huge campaign. And 48 hours later, the channel was back. But the, the point is, everything is against the, the independent uh, filmmaker. If you're truly independent, uh, you're, you're uh, at a great uh, disadvantage in terms of uh, uh, financial remuneration. But I've had 50 years of freedom and uh, been able to stagger along. And Troma's still there after 47 years. So uh, thank you to our fans. It's only due to our fans and... Uh, I suppose the lesson is uh, keep going, uh, perseverance. Uh, <laughs> as Woody Allen says, uh, success is 88% just showing up. Of course, he apparently is boffing his daughter, but so what? <laughs> Back to Shakespeare shitstorm. Yes, sir. I, I feel like this is your most complex and just overall well-crafted films that you've ever made. Do, but it seems a little bit effortless in your filmmaking. Would you say that this was one of the easier projects that you've ever directed or one of the actual harder projects that you've ever made? Well, if, uh, <laughs> if, if at the end of uh, principal photography, which was, uh, say, five weeks and then a few days in post-production... Uh, you have a, um, you get vertigo. I wouldn't say it's the easiest production, but it was the most uh, enjoyable. Uh, the cast, the crew, everybody on that movie, including the people in Albania, and uh, we are the first North American company to film in uh, Albania. Uh, even they all were fans, everybody involved with this movie, the CGI people, the effects people, the actors. I mean, it really was a trauma team and we've called ourselves the trauma team. Unlike uh, most of these uh, filmmakers, I, I don't sign my film a film by Lloyd Kaufman, even though they basically are films by me, but it's impossible. It's the trauma team, the trauma team. And boy, we had a great team on this movie, I must say. And Brandon Bassam is a wonderful uh, writer. He's uh, fearless he, and... Uh, I just produced his uh, new film, uh, Slashening the Final Beginning. And uh, that just played uh, uh, at uh, a few festivals and is starting to uh, get a reputation. It's a wonderful film. Uh, and I think a lot of credit uh, is due to Gabe Friedman, uh, Shakespeare, and uh, I. We came up with the story. Uh, but Brandon put all this stuff together in a very amusing and uh, 
uh, righteous way, a truth-seeking uh, manner. And I, I really uh, am happy with the film, I gotta say. My wife uh, produced it, uh, along with Justin Martell and, and uh, John Brennan, both of whom were my assistants. They started as my assistants, and uh, now they're producing Joe Bob Briggs' show. Uh, John Brennan's writing the music and the wonderful theme song Justin produces, and um, they uh, and they produced uh, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. Uh, and in fact, it's thanks to Justin that we went to Albania, where we got uh, incredible production value. It couldn't have come close in the United States. Uh, we needed a huge boat or a yacht or something. Ten thousand a day was the. I mean, it's an, the Albania Navy gave it to us. We're the first one. So now other movies are coming to Albania because we're in an industry that is not a courageous one, and nobody in this industry wants to be the first. None of the studio executives. I think the average job. Uh, I think the average executive at the studios is like eighteen months or something. Uh, you know, so so they're chicken. They're afraid to do anything that might get them uh, fired. So here we went to Albania, got an amazing deal, amazing crew. We shot, I think, eight or nine days. And uh, production value is enormous. And now big movies are shooting in Albania yeah, just because uh, they're afraid to be the first. Well, and I think a lot of filmmakers now are going to, to unknown and, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess un, unused places especially American filmmakers, because it is so hard for American filmmakers to get a lot of the sets and sets designs that they want with inside of America. Do you think that we're going to see more and more of this going forward? Also, uh, the uh, industry, the American uh, unions, the movie unions, to me, uh, they were, when I began 50 years ago, they were racist and sexist and closed shops um, the Directors Guild, which basically uh, kicked me out. Um, when I began, they had, uh, I think, uh, one-tenth of one percent uh, women and uh, people of color. Uh, now, 50 years later, I think it's now one-half of one percent with a lot of progress, women of color. So the unions, and, and they're, uh, you know, very difficult to work with. So people move that way, you know, they vote with their feet. In fact, the, uh, the billion dollar Toxic Avenger remake, uh, uh, by, uh, which is being directed and written by uh, Macon Blair, uh, a wonderful young director, really talented. I think it's going to be great. But it's uh, filming and uh, he's over in Bulgaria right now looking for uh, Tromaville. And luckily, a lot of Bulgaria looks like Tromaville. So I don't mean to be, I don't mean to put down Bulgaria. It's a wonderful country and uh, they, uh, are, they've got freedom there and how cool and they're prospering as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, Belarus or even Russia. Where they, in Russia, the vaccines are going out of the country and the poor citizens aren't even getting vaccinated. What can we expect from you coming up producing wise? Well, thank you for asking that. Um, I've got some movies I've, I am producing, one uh, by uh, Mercedes the Muse. Uh, we already distributed a couple of her movies, but it's a terrific uh, divide and conquer. It's wonderful. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I can't, I gave her a few notes, but that's it. I had nothing to do with it. And it's very uh, kind of anti-male, sort of. Uh, it's very feminist to the extreme. And, uh, uh, you know, we've always been, Troma's always been in the vanguard. We were, 
The Toxic Avenger, the only people that support Toxic back in 1983 in the movie were the gay guys, the children, and his mother. Uh, you know, we, we've been uh, with the underdog, promoting the underdog uh, my whole career. So uh, there's nothing different from uh, this, uh, Tromeo and Juliet. Uh, we're still promoting the underdog. And um, uh, so we got the Divide and Conquer by Mercedes uh, the Muse, which we're just starting to submit to film festivals. I think it'll be perfect for uh, Cuff. Um, we've got uh, Brandon Basham's new movie, uh, Slashening, which is currently playing, uh, uh, sorry, Slashening the Final Beginning, which uh, we're already distributing his first slash inning, but I produced the new one, which has got a bit of a, a bigger budget, and it's playing in Los Angeles at the Lemley Cinema and will open in New York at the um, the beautiful Film Noir Cinema uh, on May 22. Oh, no, no, sorry, Mutant Blast, which Michael Herz and I produced um, in Portugal. Uh, that's opening in New York on May 22nd. But Slashening will be coming to New York and hopefully some other theaters. Uh, all the movies uh, Troma and I have produced and directed, uh, they are um, made for the movie theaters. And we hope to get uh, theaters. It's not so easy now. But uh, so far, Slashening's doing all right. Mutant Blast has uh, been in some theaters. But unfortunately, we started the theaters uh, for Mutant Blast. We played in L.A. Uh, the week that the city closed down. So that kind of cut cut off uh, uh, Mutant Blast. But Mutant Blast is on now, uh, Troma Now. It's on Troma Now. If you want to see it, watch.troma.com. And where can we it's, expect Shakespeare Shitstorm to, to continue rolling out? Are, are, are you going more festival routes, or can we expect a Blu-ray or are the online release anytime soon? Well, first, uh, the, the, uh, still some festivals, uh, quite a number of festivals for hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. Uh, will presumably get the movie theaters. Usually if I direct a movie in this difficult uh, kind of oligopoly uh, that is called the entertainment industry, um, if, I, if it's, I'm the director, I can get maybe 200 uh, cinemas in the United States and maybe two in Canada, if I'm, or maybe three. Um, I used to get 2,000 screens, but uh, the industry has gotten very, very consolidated. So, um, in fact, if you want to see a good little documentary, it's about 10 minutes, Robert. It's called Independent Artists Versus uh, Corrupt Media Conglomerates. And uh, it's, in, uh, it's on the Troma channel on YouTube, the free channel, and it's also on Troma Now. Uh, and it, it lays out quite convincingly how the algorithm works against the independent filmmaker, not against the... Uh, people who are chopping people's heads off or the uh, CNN shots of uh, people being dismembered or whatever, but uh, against independent cinema. I give you examples and uh, delve into it in about 10 minutes. I also have another documentary that's about 10 minutes about the Cannes Film Festival and how it has gone from festival to fascism. And uh, we, the last time we were there, which was uh, last year, no, the year before last, and we'll never go back, uh, we were uh, manhandled and pushed around and were required to delete our uh, uh, videos and they wouldn't let us wear masks, but, uh, you know, they wouldn't let Toxic Avenger or Kabuki Man uh, walk around. They wouldn't even let people in trauma T-shirts walk around. And uh, But yet Disney was out there with guns and swords and 
Uh, no problem there. <laughs> they had the pirates uh, with all the weapons <laughs> freely walking around. So, uh, uh, you know, we don't like getting beaten. So we left. No more can. After I've been going to can since 1971, from festival to fascism. It's a tougher world now. But the nice thing is you can make your own damn movie. And my books are still selling. The first one, which James Gunn uh, and I did together, um, uh, all I need to know from filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Avengers, it's still in print, it's still selling. I mean, it's amazing. And make your own damn movie, which is my first uh, uh, make your own damn movie in the series. There's about five of them. Uh, that one's doing well. I mean, not you know, on, a, on an underground night, it's not a bestseller, but certainly still, people are still, you know, in the same way that theaters are still booking the Toxic Avenger drive-ins and uh, have been booking Tromeo and Juliet and Class of Nukemai and Troma's War and, and uh, Terra Firmer and Cannibal the Musical by Trey Parker and Matt Stone. We discovered them. So, um, you know, the, 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 our, our movies, we have about 20 classics that are, are kind of evergreen. So I don't think too many of the movies that the majors, that the cartel uh, oligopoly made uh, 30 years ago, I don't think they're getting rebooked too many times these days, or even books themselves that were written 30 some odd years ago. Uh, you know, you don't see them around anymore. But. You do see the trauma stuff. And that just proves how important you are <laughs> as not only a producer, but a filmmaker and just somebody I in the internet. I, I think, uh, you know, when I throw off these mortal coils, Robert, uh, trauma pretty much has a life of its own. And uh, Michael Hers is a couple of years younger than I, so we're both, uh, uh, you know, not long for this world. But uh, the company will keep going. You know, there's no debt and a huge library and... Uh, a wonderful fan base. So, uh, you know, I think it'll, and of course, Toxie is uh, 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 going on for multi, you know, uh, this, when the new movie comes, when the big, big movie comes out, it's going to be good. I've read the script. It's script to me is better than the original and check out the movies that Macon Blair has written. He's only directed one movie, but it's very original. And uh, he knows more about trauma than I do. If you've seen The Green Room or um, Murder Party, he, he in those movies and he wrote them. And uh, uh, he's got, we've got wonderful people in that. Michael Hers and I are producing the big one, the, the billion dollar Toxic Avenger. Um, basically, it's, it's Mount Macon's movie, but uh, they've got, uh, he's got, uh, uh, he's got the Taylor Page from Zola. He's got Elijah Wood, I think. He's got, uh, uh, a Canadian guy, uh, Adam uh, Adam Tremblay, Adam, beautiful young guy, uh, who's in uh, The Boys, uh, Boys, on uh, the wonderful uh, series. I've not seen it, but uh, wonderful uh, reputation, fantastic. And, of course, um, uh, Peter Drinkage. Uh, Peter Drinkage himself stars as the mop-wielding Toxic Avenger. So it it's going to take the Toxic Avenger to a whole new uh, place, and... Uh, hopefully, uh, and maybe enable Uncle Lloyd to keep going. Well, Uncle Lloyd, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really means a lot to me. You know that we're all big fans up here in, in Calgary and Canada. So thank you so much for coming on, and I wish you nothing but luck here, here forward. Well, thank you, Robert, and please thank uh, Cuff 
uh, for supporting me all these years. Uh, Cody Cody Clough I met uh, years ago, and uh, he's been such a wonderful friend. He is in hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. And uh, we had people from all over the world who came to be in that movie, uh, from Canada too, from uh, from Toronto, uh, from uh, the uh, from uh, Calgary, from uh, Paris, Japan, England. I mean, literally all over the world to to be in it. And the uh, main cameraman was came from Denmark. The production designer uh, came from Japan. I mean, it was really uh, a wonderful fan fueled movie. And I hope that more people in Canada can see hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. So thank you all for making it well known. And thanks to uh, Fantasia too, for having such a wonderful run uh, there. And uh, I think we have another Montreal theater, thanks to them. So thank you very much to to Canada. Hail Canada. <laughs> I hope everything is well in Chomaville. And thank you so much, Lloyd. Thanks, Robert. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ciao. We covered this next film when we were doing our South by Southwest coverage here, but it's also playing at Cough. We finally get an interview with the amazing Jasmine Stodal. This is for Kid Candidate. After that, though, we have a few special things. Hometown boy Kyle Thomas talks about his film Range Roads, and we end the show off with Vinyl Nation talking to the directors Christopher Boone and Kevin Smokler. I, I just want to start this off because I covered this on my South by Southwest coverage. And I know. I know. We were supposed to talk. I remember that. Yeah. And I'm, listen, I'm fucking blown away. I think this is the best political film that I've seen since Mr. America. And the fact that you got Tim Heidecker in this film, too, is like the greatest tie in. So, bravo on this. When did you first well, learn of Hayden? And, like, how did this whole story come to be? So, um, Hayden actually contacted Gunpowder and Sky, which is the production company that produced this movie. So, Hayden had made this joke video about running for city council, a local news agency, like, or local news channel picked it up, and was like local man running for city council, which was not true. Um, and then the video went viral um, and it was on Reddit and, it, you know, it got like a lot of views. And then Hayden thought to himself, well, maybe I should take this and actually turn it into something positive and actually run. And thinking about that too, he was like, well, he was, he was watching a, a TV show on uh, MTV in some bar in Amarillo and he found one of the producers and DM'd them and, and the producer, the executive producer of the, the movie, Jude Harris, um, was actually contacted by Hayden and Hayden was like, well, maybe we should do something. So Jude called me. I ended up going to Amarillo like, two weeks later and that's how we started the film i know it's a really long story it's not long at all <laughs> i'm i'm curious what did you think of his campaign the campaign campaign or the campaign video what did i think of him in the beginning or sure what did you think of him when you first met him and then what did you think of his actual like 
political stances as he went forward. I mean, I always like, I have an appreciation for off the wall people. And when someone makes a video like that, even though it can look ridiculous, you know, you got to know there's some intelligence behind the humor. And um, it is my kind of humor, um, good or bad. Um, first time I spoke to Hayden, I was pretty much blown away. He's a really intelligent human being, um, very talented musician, um, and very heartfelt person and sensitive. And I, and I can relate to that, very sensitive. And um, his campaign, I thought, was really cool. I thought, you know, for someone who's not political and who doesn't know how the game works and who goes in, I mean, I, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I wish he did this. I wish he did that. But watching him do it his way and, and actually not becoming that serious candidate and, and schmoozing and bullshitting. And I, can, I don't know if I can say that on this, but you, you can know, say whatever that, you want. <laughs> oh, great. I just felt like, oh, wow, like this actually works. People are so sick of the game. They want someone who's authentic. They want someone who's heartfelt, even if they are not, you know, necessarily considered the best candidate with the most experience, but someone who's actually heartfelt and cares and listens, um, you know, it makes a difference. And I think that's what we're missing in politics. You know, I, I feel like everything is so contrived. Um, you know, the more money you spend, like the, the more views you get, uh, it's a problem capitalism has, and, and not that I'm anti-capitalist, but like it's really infiltrated the way that, you know, our country is run, meaning America. And I, I don't know how it is in Canada, but it's really infiltrated that. And, and also it's a problem because those with money are the ones who are getting their voices heard, not, not the, the people at large, which is, which is the whole point. Hayden was the only young person running um, I mean, in Amarillo, over 40% of the population is, is under 30, and there are no under 30s on that council. And there are no people who, you know, are not professionals, lawyers, doctors, dentists, you know, everybody there is, like, quite well off. Um, also, in Amarillo, you don't get paid to be on city council. So if you, if you have a job, you, you really, or, or you don't have extra income, you really can't participate in, and put in the time. And, and that's kind of what's happened with our system. And that's a way to keep people out, you know? How do you feel about film as a medium for actual change? Do, do you think film is, is, an actual, is an actual good medium to try and change things? And do you see films like this getting, getting young people engaged? I mean, I would hope so. Like, I think, I think it's important to be able to see yourself or someone like you out there doing something because without, without seeing it, there's less of a chance you'd actually think you're capable of that. So as a tool for inspiration, I definitely feel uh, film works. You know, it's, it's you know, you, how do you become an artist or, or, or a lawyer or a doctor? You know, you kind of see people like you around you doing those things and then you're like, oh, well, this is a possibility for me. So in terms of that, I think, you know, that's, it, it's a good medium for that. Um, at this point where we are in our, you know, in our culture where everybody's kind of, you know, working to live, um, you know, I, I feel like um, 
it's hard to get out there and just do something because we're all just worried about how we're going to pay our rent, um, which is why it's so important that we are involved. So, yeah, I think it, I think it can move the needle a little bit. Um, I hope it can. I, I think, you know, showing young people and social media in general, like people seem to, you know, want to get be engaged, want to, want to participate. So I'm hoping, yes, I'm hoping that it does, it does help. Did you spend a lot of time on the look of the film? Because you were kind of working off of his original campaign film. Did you want to kind of keep that spirit alive throughout your entire documentary? Or were you really trying to forge your own vision right from the get-go as soon as you met him? Did you have this clear vision? I mean, I definitely, following him around, could see what was happening in Amarillo. And, and I mean, granted, I went in kind of, you know, I know I grew up in South Africa where 90% of people weren't allowed to vote when I was growing up. So, um, you know, people participating in the process is really important to me. Um, I also feel went in knowing, you know, money is an issue in American politics and so much money is spent and we have this, this, uh, this law where we, we consider corporations as people donating to campaigns, which is a huge problem. Uh, in my opinion, you know, other people feel different. Um, what was the question? The question is... The, j- just the look of the film. I, I will say the this. Of, the, oh, yeah. So, yes, I went in well, like with the didactic message for sure. Like I, I, have, I had a vision, I mean, and watched it actually unfold in front of me, funnily enough. And, but keeping Hayden in there and keeping the sense of humor and keeping the fun, like I'm the boring person in this movie, like Hayden is the fun person and Hayden is the one who keeps everybody engaged. And, and his approach is great. You know, I can, I can, I can put the medicine in there and, and the medicine is, is self-explanatory, but definitely the tone of the film, I definitely wanted it to, to not feel super heavy. I wanted it to be entertaining and I wanted people to not leave feeling depressed or like to have some sense of hope, you know, leaving the movie because there is hope. There's a lot of hope. And, and, and the hope is, is, is Hayden and people like him. Well, keeping it lighter has, has Harmony seen the film? (laughs) Has, has it, has it got to Harmony Kareen at this point? I got to tell you someday Harmony and uh, Hayden have to meet because, um, (laughs) I would love to see that. Um, I don't know if Harmony's seen the film. I, I mean, I, I suspect that he's curious um, about Hayden. I know Hayden has tried many times to connect with, with Harmony. Did you ever try to get Harmony for this documentary? Did that ever cross your mind? Yes, it totally crossed my mind. You know, Harmony is an enigma to, and very hard to... Um, to get hold of. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know if I had really tried, would I have succeeded? Probably not. Um, but yes, definitely. Like you can feel harmony in Hayden, you know, so many times in the film. Um, even, you know, that, that kind of sense of humor, that dark sense of humor, uh, with a little bite in there, you know, and the aesthetic too. Hayden's aesthetic is very harmony, Corinne. 
Well, that's why it was brilliant that Tim <laughs> was in the film as well, because he also has that like little extra edge about him, and especially in his comedy. Totally. Um, Tim is really funny. I, I met Tim many, many years ago in New York and actually was friendly with um, his cousin. So I, I kind of knew him, but hadn't connected with him in many, many years. So when Hayden was invited to the podcast and it was Tim, I was like, oh, this is, this is a sign. Things are coming full circle. And Hayden and I had actually talked about Tim Heidecker like towards the beginning of the movie because I'd kind of mentioned that, I, that I'd known him like back in the day. Um, and then ironically, we were, we were driving to Austin and, and he was invited to the podcast and here you go, it was Tim Heidecker. So, and I'm really happy that Tim is in the movie and, you know, not just to give the movie, you know, some sort of cachet, but also, you know, he has his own political feelings and feelings about politics, which are, it's kind of strange that, you know, we all ended up in one place. Well, what can we expect from you coming up? Oof. So a lot of things I can't talk about, but um, I'm working on a TV show um, that I'm trying to get off the ground, which um, which I can't talk about. But then I, I have another documentary that um, I'm trying to get off the ground that I want to shoot in South Africa. Um, also musicians, um, amazing amazing, amazing musicians um, and cool guys also kind of doing their thing and, and having it, you know, having that kind of social message behind them. I think I'm very um, attracted to musicians and, 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 and the, like, and social justice. So um, that's, I think that's kind of the direction I'm going. Well, that's what this show is all about. Social justice, film and music. So awesome. <laughs> I, I, I'll I'll send you uh, I'll send you a little something you can take a look and then when it's time to announce it, you, I I think you'll I think you'll like it. Brilliant. Hey, anytime you want to come on this show, you are now a friend of the show. You have anything to promote? Please come on here. It was great oh, talking to you. And, it was great talking to you too. Yeah, and everybody, if you haven't seen Kid Candidate, see Kid Candidate. It is fucking amazing. Do a double feature with that in Mr. America. It's two of the best political documentaries of our time. Although Mr. America is not really a documentary, but it needs to be seen together, I think. Well, yeah, I want to, yeah. I want, I want Kid Canada to be like a little cult classic that you go like at, to like a midnight showing every weekend or, you know what I mean? Are, are you, where do you see the film going from here? When, when the world opens up, how do you kind of want it to play? Are, are you thinking the festival circuit through the, through the course of the year now? Or are you going to try to get a more theatrical midnight run? That's really not up to me. Um, I don't own the film. Gunpowder and Sky paid for the film. Thank you, Gunpowder and Sky. You are amazing. Um, but I think... I would love to see it on a streamer because I want as many people, as many young people to see this as possible and people, all people, you know, are important, but especially young people, you know, um, I, I think that watching Hayden like would, would just, you know, like I said, point the needle in, in, in the direction that we want it to be and, and, and maybe inspire you to do something in your community or even vote in a local election where you can make the most difference, which it's so ironic. We're so focused on the national stuff and not on the local. And the local is, is, 
is the easiest place to get changes made. Jasmine. I sound like a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> vote, vote, go vote. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. And thanks for doing this show. And, and thanks for being such a big supporter of the movie. I, of course. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you take care. And Why do you make such Albertan films? And why is that an important thing for you to do? Well, I think that there's something that I've always identified with and whether I think initially when I was younger, it might've been landscape, you know, that, that we have such diverse landscape. So from a production standpoint, in terms of shooting, you can do a lot of different stuff here. And, 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 uh, and then I went out to school to Montreal for five years and I really missed uh, having options to, to, to shoot uh, stuff out here. So that was kind of on a surface level, but the more I began to make work, and uh, develop stories. I just take drives and and would get so inspired by the small towns that are around Calgary and um, uh, around the province. And and it was just a. It seemed like it was a well uh, f- for me that was that was never ending in in terms of um, uh, the stories and the characters that could be put in these settings uh, in, in in particular. So uh, I think that's that's where it started. Did- did you originally write this film as as a vehicle essentially for Alana, or did she come a little bit later when the, when the script was maybe even done at that point? No, so the, the, definitely right from the beginning, I had Joe and Alana uh, on board. They had, they had been in my my first feature, The Valley Below, and had smaller roles, so I knew right away like these are two people that I want to work with again. And so knowing that they were both on board to do something, whatever, whatever that was going to be, uh, we, started, we started brainstorming and collaborating on these characters like five years ago, basically, and, and doing small workshops and, and back and forth in, in Google Docs and phone calls and, and coffees and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the story really, and the characters, in fact, went through many different iterations along the way, um, and it looked totally different at one point um, before we kind of landed where we were at. So it really was a, a process that took a lot of time and we put a lot of, um, of, of effort into developing these characters to make them real, right? And to make them resonate so that when we get on set, we've already done a bunch of, a bunch of work together, uh, all of us. So we can really now just get into, let's make the scene work. How much uh, of the pre or of the post production were you doing during the pandemic? Was this kind of a relief for you that you could just sit down and work on this film for the last year and and think about what you're going to do with it? You know what I I made the DCP at the very end of February last year, <laughs> so you know I I was rushing to get it out for that spring fall festival release right so it's like okay we got to submit it to can we got to and then suddenly cans cans everything's just like it's not uh, yeah suddenly it was the worst time ever to, <laughs> to have a film ready to go and so we 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 did a lot of uh back and forth and, de- and debating on on whether we should sit on it or whether it's eh, anyhow yeah well, I was done before <laughs> well, I was going to ask you were you thinking maybe I'm going to hold this off another year and it's going to be maybe a 2022 release or maybe I'll hold out until like the fall festivals and maybe I'll premiere something like TIFF like you did with Valley Below? 
Yeah, we we considered that. That yeah, at, at one point that's what we were going to do, and then you know, the, the, as with many things in this pandemic, things start to shift gears, and suddenly you go, okay, is this something? Uh, anyhow, and with with just a bunch of other projects that were coming up, and and all of that, I I I, I kind of said, well it's still a gamble to wait. It's still a gamble to wait. And, and, and who knows all the other projects that have been going on during the pandemic, which there were, and then there's going to be a backlog. So it's like, what, what, what do you bet on? And, and, uh, and I just decided I, I had to, I think it was time to, to get it out and, and uh, do the best that we can. It's, it's such a refreshing film to be on the cuff lineup. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not their normal kind of a film. Were you really excited that this was going to be a festival that was, were you, this film was essentially going to be one of the top films at the festival this year? So were, were you excited and is this, is this kind of a coming home for you? Of course, yeah. I, I've, I've never personally had a film in cuff, a short or, or a feature. So it's never a festival that I've, I've played, but, you know, Cam McGowan's a good friend of mine and he's been involved for a long time. And, and, uh, and so it's, uh, you know, I've always appreciated the festival. I've always thought it was a really cool festival, but we've always gone the Calgary international route. So I, I was excited this time that I could, I could finally have a project to be able to bring to this very unique, well-programmed festival. Well, Kyle, what can we expect from you coming up? Well, there, you know, there's always there's always irons in the fire, but uh, I, I, you know, in terms of writing and in development, but uh, I am currently producing uh, a feature that's an indigenous dark comedy mockumentary called Hey Victor, and that's going to be shooting up in Edmonton here in May June and for a 2022 release. All going well, pandemics aside. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of, you know turning my gaze a little bit uh, more towards producing for the next little while as I kind of take the time to figure out exactly what direction I want to go next in terms of writing and directing. Where do you see Range Roads going from here? Is this maybe going to hit con or anything in the future? Are you going to try to keep it in the festival circuit for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that our, our window for top-tier festivals uh, is is gone. Um, that was the gamble that we, we took. But, you know, there's a lot of amazing festivals out there, and it's not all about those eight big, uh, you know, f- f- festivals. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely, I would love to be able to see it play some more festivals here throughout the year and then maybe towards the, the fall, um, you know, depending on what happens, be able to do a small theatrical run and uh and release it here uh later on in 2021 well kyle thank you so much for coming on the show i hope everybody checks this film out for you awesome man thank you so much for having me thank you of course country that would be interested in our movie I i will say most of them are like unless 50 people get killed in your movie we're not interested but like um I'm hoping to find I'm hoping to find the 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 the, the siblings and first cousins of Cuff. I will uh, I, I will say this about Cuff. And the yeah. thing that I think makes them special is they really care about the filmmaker. They will try their absolute hardest to get everybody up here when it's like an yes. in-person thing. They really mm-hmm. want to be inclusive with the filmmakers. And I think that's that's what's one of the cooler parts of Cuff as a whole, yeah. I think. Yeah, we, we, we are, you know, th- this is our, 
we, we've gotten into, we've been selected for 20 film festivals and Cuff is, Cuff is at the top of the class, definitely. Where, is it, so would you say that Cuff is like one of your most excited to be accepted to so far? And, and where, where do you actually see the film going from here? Uh, we, Chris, is the film going anywhere from here? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we are, we have festival, pro, we're programmed in festivals until early summer. We have applications outstanding for festivals through the end of the year. Um, we have uh, a, spe- like our DVD are we allowed to talk about our DVD? Sure. I don't, yeah, okay, no. mm-hmm. our, our DVD is a is a is a is a is an official Record Store Day merchandise, so it's going to be sold as part of Record Store Day um, in the U.S. and um, and then I think we'll probably talk VOD. I don't know, fall maybe, maybe next year, and then uh, and then because we're doing this completely backwards, thanks to the pandemic, like next year, I would imagine we'll we'll pick out. A, a few select theaters and cities that have been really good to us and take the movie there and see if we can program ourselves in for the weekend and do a lot of vinyl shopping and meeting people who are, who are into this sort of thing. Have you thought about doing any like special screenings in record stores and maybe even because of the pandemic, allowing it to be a smaller space and, and, and seeing the film that way has, has any of this kind of thing crossed your guys' minds? Um, it has, you know, um, screening things actually can be challenging from a technical standpoint. So uh, it's if it's not des- designated as an area to actually screen something, sometimes that can be a challenge. Um, but there have been a few people who have started to reach out to us and say, is there a way that we could do maybe a special screening? So uh, yet to be determined. Um, but I think actually more than anything, they want to do it outdoors still, um, especially as the weather is getting nicer and, you know, we're still kind of making our way through the pandemic. Thankfully, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Uh, but yeah, so we, we deal with those on a kind of case-by-case basis. So hopefully we'll have some, some fun events that come up in the next couple of weeks, a couple of months. Well, Christopher, Kevin, when was your first vinyl? Can you remember what it was? And really, what was the spark that drew both of you to make this film and make it now? So my first vinyl record, like, like, Chris and I, neither one of us are old enough to be, to have been vinyl people like the first time around when that was a way, that was the way to listen to music. Um, I think we're both kind of of the Sony Walkman generation. Uh, but I, I did. I think I had two or three records early, early on when I started purchasing music for myself and my my musical history is very much connected to the birth of MTV. MTV came along the week of my eighth birthday, so um, that's when it premiered. So I think my first like record I purchased on vinyl was was the Jay Giles band's Freeze Frame, and then followed shortly by Tears for Fears song from from the Big Chair, which is ironic because those those are four years apart, like when they came out. Um, so I, I think I was onto cassette tapes pretty quickly after that. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm two years younger than Kevin. So I remember my mom's, uh, 
record player was downstairs in our basement. We called it the hi-fi. And we, my, my brother, I'm the youngest of three boys. So my brothers and I had a couple 45s, uh, I, as I recall. Um, and I do have distinct memories of playing um, another brick in the wall on 45 and then swapping it out for summer nights from Greece. And um, I know I had a flexi disc that was like a bunch of aliens singing happy birthday. My name was on the flexi disc, which is like super cool. Like I can hear my <laughs> name being played. And then when I had the Fisher Price uh, record player, like most kids my age, so I definitely had some Sesame Street records. Um, and then as far as my own 45s, I, I know I had an Air Supply 45 and I know I had Wanna Be Starting Something by Michael Jackson, but like Kevin, I quickly moved into cassettes and I was much more of the cassette era and then the CD era I, I being the youngest of three boys i was actually the first one to have the cd player in the house so it made my older brothers really jealous um but i i had come in with some money i remember and i remember buying that and they were making fun of me but it was just because they were jealous um yeah so i was quickly into cds and so really vinyl records for me isn't until like the resurgence and coming back around to it probably in like 2014 when my wife and i get a turntable and that's when i really get into actually buying albums on vinyl why did you decide to make this film now as opposed to maybe maybe a few years ago, maybe even a few years in the future? Why did you decide now to make this this particular film? Um, this is Kevin, probably because uh, you, you first of all, you make a good point, like like by the the vinyl comeback, the vinyl renaissance was 10 years old by the time we started making this movie. So we knew immediately that Vinyl Nation was not going to be 90 minutes of, wow, look at this cool thing that happened, like because the cool thing was a decade old at, at the time that we started making the movie. Um, we started making it now, a really dumb, uninteresting reason is you know, it's two years after Chris and I started talking about it. Um, and uh, I had wanted to make a documentary because I'm a documentary fanatic and I, I write nonfiction books for my day job. So I only know how to tell stories in a nonfiction way. Um, and Chris was a veteran filmmaker and I was a, a newbie filmmaker. So he had those skills and I had the idea. And Chris had had always wanted to make a documentary, um, but had, had it only made films from the narrative point of view. And so uh, when we started talking about it, because we don't live in the same place, when we started talking about it, it was clear that we had an idea that the timing was pretty good because even though it had been around for a while, there were still plenty of people that didn't know about it. Uh, there was plenty of evidence we could film that the vinyl comeback was happening. We could go to record stores and record labels and pressing plants and stuff like that. Um, and uh, the 2020 election... Uh, 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 showcasing a very divided America was was on the horizon. And we made a movie that was a fan favorite about human connection that spans all races, colors, creeds, and musical tastes. So, um, so yeah, we thought the timing, we thought the timing was really good. We, we didn't count on a pandemic. <laughs> um, so, so I guess you could say our timing for that was terrible, but, um, but otherwise it was okay. Chris, anything else to add to that? Uh, no, I mean, I think Kevin summed it up uh, pretty well there. And uh, I guess more than anything, I was actually looking for a project at the time that Kevin brought it to me. And like I said, I was interested in making a documentary at some point in my career, just didn't know what or when. So uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I was definitely curious. And and like I said, we, I mean, we talked about it for a really long time once Kevin brought the idea to me, just kind of bouncing back and forth. And then that basically morphed into 
doing primary research, you know, reaching out to a number of different people who may or may not become interview subjects in the film and then trying to figure out what were the different tracks that we essentially wanted to cover. I mean, we essentially put together an album, if you will, in terms of our outline and, and how we wanted to tell the story. Yeah, and then it, I think it was at the end of 2018 where we kind of realized, hey, this would be great if it came out in 2020, so we better shoot it in 2019. So we kind of really kind of had to, you know, get our act in gear and um, and figure out when we were going to shoot it and get the financing and the budget all pulled together. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the story behind how we actually got it done. Were both of you really heavily involved in Record Store Day even before like thinking about doing this documentary and were you if you weren't were you surprised at how big the growth has become at this point i i i can't speak for chris but i i i definitely participated in record store day as a consumer um and i uh and i was i wasn't i wasn't the kind of record store day consumer who lined up early in the morning because he wanted to get the exclusive stuff um a i wasn't smart enough or hip enough to know what the exclusive stuff was most of the time. And B, uh, I just saw it as an, at any one time I have 50 or 60 records I'm looking for. So I just saw it as an excuse to, to go to the record store day on a beautiful April day where everybody was in a good mood about being at the record store. So um, that's generally the way I celebrated record store day. Um, I think our first indication that we were onto something and we were not going to waste a ton of time and money um, getting interviews, uh, particularly with sort of bigger established institutions like Record Store Day, was we, we met, I, I met Sandy Bittman, who was in our movie, the owner of Park Avenue CDs in Orlando, Florida, um, way before Chris and I ever started talking about this movie through a mutual friend. And Sandy had, as a record store owner, had been part of uh, the Record Store Day, uh, different committees as part of the Record Store Day organization throughout his tenure as an owner at the store. He knew people. He said he could introduce us. Um, so Sandy's early support and uh, and uh, generosity was a big part of was a big part of our becoming friends with the record store day people in the first place. Yeah, and this is Chris. I, I um, hadn't really been an active participant in Record Store Day events prior to us working on the film. Um, you know, being a dad with two kids, like I, I have to have a pretty good reason to sneak out of the house in like the wee hours of the morning on a Saturday. Uh, and uh, even though my daughter is 17, is into records, like, again, the idea of standing out in, in line in front of a record store in the cold isn't really, like, her idea of a, a good time. Although we obviously met a lot of people her age who were like, Yo, no, this is all I would want to do um, uh, myself. So I had at least, while we were doing research, I went to our local record store for Record Store Day just for kicks and also to see what it was. And it's a much smaller uh, uh, event based on the size of that store and and they're mostly into used records and not so much new vinyl so they, they don't order a ton for record store day um, but it's still fun uh, but it's nothing like what we show at, at Mills Record Company at the beginning of, of our film and it's nothing like what like Amoeba, Rec Amoeba Music has you know with the lines stretching way around the block um, but it was still fun just for for the research purpose uh, and, and again I, I'm also similar to Kevin like I I think I love the idea of Record Store Day and the fact that there are all these, there have been all these really interesting and exclusive releases. Um, and yet I don't need to be the one that's there in line like right away. I would much rather kind of just go and just be a part of the vibe during the day and just bump into people at the record store and, you know, catch a live band that's playing. And then, you know, and most record stores do deals on their, on their used records at that time. So it's just like a great time to go and shop and just hang out with people that are into records. Um, so yeah, I think I have a much 
much stronger affinity for a record store day since we actually have done the project and captured some of it on film. And, you know, now that it went away last year, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, so the drops, uh, you know, are a little bit, uh, I guess they're, they're a little bit more special now. And, uh, you know, you don't realize what you have until it's been taken away from you. <laughs> what would you say the hardest part about making this film was for both of you? I mean, the standard answer when you talk to to any independent filmmaker is time and money, and that's and that that of course was true for us. We um, we had plenty of people we wanted to interview, um, but we couldn't because we had to clump all of our interviews. Every place we went to, we had to have two or three people we could interview there. Um, because we didn't have it in the budget to um, to haul ourselves and our crew somewhere just for one interview, so that was too bad. Like like even with a movie called Vinyl Nation, we could only go to so many places that we wanted to go to, and and we think it's like fairly representative of something called a nation, but not as representative as it could have been had we had we had thirty percent more budget and fifty percent more time. Um, I think the, but the the hardest part for me, artistically speaking, and Chris probably has a different answer, but the hardest part for me is for a movie that was about music, um, I didn't have any idea what we wanted it to sound like. Because like, we knew, all we knew is we didn't want it to sound like any particular era of music because that was going to date badly. Um, but what beyond that? Like, does it, um, does it, you know, it, does everything sound like it's, does, does the whole film sound like it's been mono recorded and we add, we add scratches and, and stuff like that to it. So it sounds like a record we didn't know. Um, and so like, we, we spent a lot of time debating that and it was a really meeting, I mean, it was really working with our composer, Catherine Bostic, who Chris had worked with before, and, uh, and our music supervisor, Morgan Rhodes, who was also in our movie, um, where Chris and I were just like, oh, okay, this is the best we've come up with, and it sounds good, but we don't know if it actually means anything. We were like, uh, we're talking about a past technology that has relevance in the present and the future, so we want a movie that sounds like the past, present, future at the same time. And of course, Morgan and, Ka Morgan and Catherine are pros, and so they were like, sure, we know what that means. And they went off, and they uh, designed a soundscape for our movie, and, and that's why it sounds so great. But we, we uh, Chris, I would say we were not helpful to them at the beginning <laughs> we were, we were, <laughs> I don't, yeah well, we, i think we let them do their jobs they yeah. are experts at what they do in both composing and finding tracks and then i think once they prevent you know pre presented to us what they were working on then it was easy to react to it and say yes absolutely or not so much or maybe we can move it a little bit more in this direction as far as me I, time and money was also what i was going to say is like it's always the biggest challenge and then i think beyond that Having come from the, the the narrative world and and being so used to writing my own work and then shooting it and then working with somebody to edit it, you know, you always have the script as the blueprint and you're coming back to that. And the editing is the final rewrite. And then going doing a documentary for the first time and doing it the feature length, realizing that the writing was gonna come at the end. Like and and I'm a big planner. So everything was was really well laid out and well planned but I knew we wouldn't exactly know what the story was going to be until we shot everything and then worked with our editing team to actually construct the narrative. So I had to be a little bit more patient, I think, around that. Uh, but I was really excited to work with our editors, uh, Jason Welling and Dave Fabello, who have done both narrative work as well as um, uh, documentary work and just learn from them kind of the, what processes worked for them, worked for them. And then Kevin and I, you know, then taking what they would give us 
reinterpreting it, bring it back to them and just kind of that back and forth. Cause I've always enjoyed the editing process, but it was so much more of finding the story in, in the edit than I'd ever done before. And like a narrative in the narrative world. So that was both challenging, but also like probably my, probably ultimately my favorite part of the, of the process. Well, what can we expect from both of you coming up? Uh, we're going to be, we're going to be, in the groove with this record for a long with with this particular film for a long time um i i have teased chris in the past that we every time we've gotten to a certain phase of completing this movie or taking it out on the road and promoting it i have teased chris and said and for our next movie and and chris has always been like please focus on the movie we just made and and that we can uh so we can uh, give it the life it deserves um it's had it, ironically it's had a lot longer of a life upon completion than it probably would have had there not been a pandemic um but i think we want to make sure that vinyl nation gets the gets the showing in in a public forum that that it deserves or that any movie deserves quite frankly and that has been halted and 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 stalled by by all of us isolating and trying to be safe um and then at that point like at that point we don't know like i i think Chris and I will sit down and talk and we'll, and we'll be like, what do you want to do? Or what do you want to do? Or what's on your mind and what's on your mind? And we'll see. Um, uh, I've got six more ideas for documentaries because that's how I work. Chris, Chris has a drawer full of several scripts because that's how he works. So um, uh, we don't know. Um, but we uh, hopefully, hopefully something in some manifestation that was as much fun as we had making this one. Yeah, and also with the pandemic still going on, it's it's just a challenge to get stuff made without <laughs> yeah. like massive resources, right? Yeah. Like if you're, unless you're a studio that's got the financing to make sure that you can put together a crew with the COVID safe practices. Like we were just this tiny little uh, a group of people, you know, bouncing around the country. And while you could still do that, like we're not anxious to bounce around the country until we're vaccinated and the people we're working with are vaccinated. So it's, it just kind of puts a lot of things on hold unless you're going to make, say, a documentary that's completely completely archival footage. Um, yeah. I don't think either of us are quite interested in doing something like that. So yeah, like Kevin said, we, we both kind of have our ideas of certain projects to do. Uh, but right now we're focusing on getting this out into the world uh, and the variety of ways that we're doing it. Playing at places like Cuff is, is a fantastic opportunity for us to, to bring Vinyl Nation to more audiences. So we're just really excited about that part of the process right now. Well, and this is such a perfect film for Cuff to have because Calgary has such a rich vinyl history uh we have many many record stores we take record store day very seriously so i'm really excited and and i hope that the audiences really resonate with this film uh it's it's a hell of a lot of fun and anybody that loves vinyl really just loves community you need you need to check this film out so I, i'd like to thank you kevin and thank you christopher for coming on the show today Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for representing Calgary so well and Cuff. And yeah, we've seen a map of the Calgary record stores. Um, <laughs> yep. I, I, Chris, if we went to Cuff, I'm not actually sure we'd make it to Cuff. If we, you know, <laughs> even if we were in Calgary, I, I think g- given given how many record stores we'd have to visit. I actually know so many artists that come here and between our coffee shops and our record stores, they almost don't make it to their gigs. So <laughs> it's sounds it's a, like our kind of town. It, it's a problem sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I, we're look forward to the time that we can get 
to these places that are showing our film, you know, at, at down the road. So in Calgary is definitely one of those places that we've heard great things about. So yeah, until then we'll, we'll just have to live vicariously um, through others. But like Kevin said, we just appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about our movie. Well, thank you guys. And uh, I wish you nothing but luck and I hope everybody picks this film up. Uh, we appreciate that, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Lloyd Kaufman again, Jasmine Stodel, Kyle Thomas, Christopher Boone, Kevin Smockler. It really means a lot that all you came on the show. And again, please go pick up, check out, rent, track down the films that were at this year's cuff. Uh, th- there was a lot of gems in the midst of that. And uh, and it's definitely definitely a festival that you, that you should keep your eye on in the near future. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And this concludes our broadcast day.